Hey, I'm Steve Fallon. Thanks for listening. This episode is supported by The Podcast Host. If you're thinking of getting a podcast off the ground, they have all the courses and technical advice and support, frankly, you might need. Uh, Use the promo code FREELANCE to get money off. Find the details at beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for journalist and PR coach Janet Murray. I think naturally, I think if you're freelance, you probably are a bit of a risk taker because I've been doing it for 15 years. And, and sometimes people say to me, how do you cope with the fact that you just never know what's around the corner? I'm like, I don't know. But somehow it's just always worked out. And um, and somehow things have just always fallen into place. And I think the longer you do it, I think probably the more confident you get about the fact that, OK, this might be a bit of a tricky month, but it'll all come right in the end. The more content you put out there, the more people seem to trust you and like what you're saying, the more they want to work with you one-to-one or in a small group. So you sort of imagine that putting all this content out there might kill your business, but in fact, the more you do, the more people, they, 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 want, they want it one-to-one and they want it tailored to them. So I found it's been brilliant for business, to be honest. Hello. Uh, Yes, hope your week's going well. So Janet Murray is my guest this week. She is a freelance journalist, also predominantly, to be fair nowadays, a PR coach, diversifying her income. And she's got an excellent podcast. I really recommend it. And uh, and a book for that matter as well, which I haven't read yet, but does look good. I think it's your press release is Breaking My Heart. It's a great title. Anyway, all the details for this episode as ever at beingfreelance.com, where you can also find loads of other guests. Don't forget, you can also get our live episode. The only place you can get that is at the website. And you can sign up for the newsletter and find out what what on earth else is going on anyway i shall shut up and say hello to freelance journalist and pr coach janet murray hey janet hello there thank you for having me thank you well how about we get started hearing about how you got started being freelance so I started off actually as a school teacher. So when I was first leaving university, I'd always quite fancied being a journalist, but I also was interested in teaching. And everybody told me that journalism was just too hard. I would never make it in the nationals, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to write for the nationals. And everybody told me it would never happen. And you needed to be Oxbridge educated and know people on the Guardian or whatever. And so I bottled it a little bit and I went off and trained to be a teacher I did that for three or four years and although I didn't hate it I just I just didn't really love it that much I mean there were lots of things I liked about it and certainly teaching is always something I've really enjoyed but I think it was that thing where as a teacher you you have to fill out your planner at the beginning of the year and you have this planner that you fill out your lessons and your timetable on it and it was basically just looking across the school year and thinking I know I'm going to be in the same room at the same time every Wednesday (laughs) with the same people doing the same thing and that started to weigh quite heavily on me and I just oh I don't know and I was only quite young and I was I was spending every evening and weekend marking books and planning lessons and and so I decided after three or four years to sort of get out before I I really did not like it um so I gave up my job and went off and retrained in journalism at the London College of Printing and the cause at the time it cost me 800 pounds at the time which seemed loads because that was back in I think it was 2000 I think it was and it seemed like you know a king's ransom but actually 
actually it was the best bit of cash that I ever spent because while I was on this course, they encouraged us to sell our work. And so the, the assignments that we were creating for this kind of real fast track journalism course, we were just told get out there and try and sell them to newspapers and magazines. And I totally took this on board and somehow managed to sell, sell a couple of pieces while I was still on my course. And uh, one was an interview with Chris Tarrant, which I'm still never quite sure how I managed to land that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and for those who don't know, a TV, British TV show yeah. host, um, very popular at the time. Um, the other one was a story, very entrepreneurial. It was a, it was a story about why I was leaving the, the teaching profession after just a few years. And basically, I kind of thought to myself, do you know what? I think I could make more money by doing this on my own, which is totally counterintuitive. But by that point, I'd been teaching for a few years and actually the money wasn't bad. I had a car loan, I had student loans and, you know, I already had quite a few commitments and I thought I don't really want to go back onto a magazine in London earning 15 grand after, after you know, having quite a decent wage in teaching by that stage. So I thought I'd just try freelancing and actually it worked out pretty well and having everybody told me that I would never make it into the nationals that you know you could only do that if you knew people and all that kind of thing I think it made me even more determined so I I got my first national pieces in with a few months in the likes of the Guardian and the Independent and Telegraph and that kind of thing and I just then started selling selling stories basically to newspapers and magazines and did that for quite a few years and absolutely loved it and I just loved the variety I loved the thrill of the with the pitching side of things I love the fact that I didn't have to get up at a certain time every morning and get on the train or drive somewhere to to get to work and and um, that was back in the days when things were very much still print orientated so I loved seeing my byline in magazines and newspapers (laughs) and you know and and then and um so so yeah it was just kind of really fun and you know every day was different every week was different there was none of that kind of standing around thinking oh my god it's Wednesday and I know I'm going to be here doing the same thing six weeks time on Wednesday I absolutely loved it. So at that point how were you getting those gigs because presumably at that point you didn't have like a network to exploit and things so how were you getting those first jobs I knew nobody I had no connections whatsoever so I was doing a couple I was basically just hustling so the, the advice I give people now about if they have if they want to get featured in the media is exactly basically what I did then when I was a freelance journalist if I wanted to be in a particular publication then I would just get it and read it from cover to cover and I mean I don't mean just kind of read it I would really scrutinize what kind of articles are they running Um, do they have regular columnists are they using the same people all the time do these people look like they're freelance or they're on staff and just basically kind of just trying to uh, scout out any opportunity where I could get paid for writing and then I would just send an email pitch to the editor I'd really study it to see if I could come up with an idea that I thought would work for that publication and, and just send a pitch and I had loads of rejections I had like lots of beginner's luck and I did really well at first and then I think inevitably I probably got a bit too cocksure and and then I had a bit of a dip but I kind of recovered myself there's nothing like you know needing to pay your mortgage I think to to kind of get you to get you moving um and yeah I just I just basically hustled and the other thing I did as well is I just took any opportunity to meet anybody that was a journalist so even if they were on like tunnels and tunneling weekly or whatever I just made it my business to understand which I didn't write for by the way made it my business to understand what the job of a journalist involved and and how they decided 
what to commission to, to put in their, their pages. And um, so I would just kind of meet anybody for coffees. If somebody had a brother or a cousin or whatever, I'd just be like meeting meeting people for coffee and just trying to build those connections. And I also used to run networking events in London, actually, for other freelance journalists, because I found that having a network of other people doing the same thing it was just really really helpful because if I got approached to do something that wasn't quite in my area then I could pass it on to somebody else or we could exchange contacts for different editors and different publications and and the other thing I learned as well quite early on was how important it was to specialize so I started off because I'd been in education I was like oh there's no way I want to write about education however (laughs) it, it helped me initially writing for education type publications when I was just basically looking to get bylines and looking to get column inches uh, I obviously used my background in education to help me with that but then after a while I was kind of trying to break out of it for a while I was trying to write sort of women's magazine stuff but I kind of thought well actually this is kind of easier and, and actually I wouldn't have gone into, in, into education if I didn't care about it so so actually it kind of suits me and I basically kind of over the years it turned myself into a real specialist correspondent in education and as you probably know as a freelancer and, and people listening will know that people love specialists so they love to come to somebody who specialises in a particular topic or area so the more I niched down and specialized in education the more work I got and then what would also happen is then some of the organizations that I kind of linked up with for the stories that I was writing then they might come to me and say we've got a big copywriting project would you like to take it on or would you like to do some writing training or whatever it might be and so I was able to pick up some some better paid work (laughs) than the journalism to, to kind of support that. Wow. And how did you, you mentioned in there, like you used to run networking events. How were you setting those up? What what sort of year was that? Well, back in, I think it was uh, 2003, I started a forum. (laughs) And uh, you know, those kind of like really old fashioned looking online forums. And my husband said to me, you know, what would be really good is if you just kind of set up a forum and got loads of freelance journalists to sign up, sign up for it. And then you, because I was, I think I was basically just, I don't know what I was doing. I'm trying to think now. I think I was just emailing people I knew who were freelancers and saying, we started off actually, we used to meet on the South Bank on a Friday afternoon, just some other freelance journalists that I knew. And we used to just sit around and chat about what we were doing and, and who we were working for and trade contacts and ideas and, and just kind of brainstorm a bit. And so the forum really was a way of kind of reaching out to more people. And I remember literally there was a website called journalist.co.uk and you could pay 50 quid to be listed on this this website. And I manually just went through every single person who was listed and there were like <laughs> hundreds of them and emailed them and invited them to join my forum. And it was called Journobase. In fact, it still exists, but I don't really run it anymore. It kind of runs itself, but it still exists. And, and um, I don't use it, but, but others still do. <laughs> and uh, at one point I had like 2,000 people on there and, um, and it was probably the biggest online forum for for journalists and I tried actually back then to monetize it but I think I if I knew what I know now about things like content marketing and things like that I'd have made a killing but I think I only realized after doing it for a few years and seeing how those connections were helping people that people were helping each other to get work they were helping each other to get into new magazines and newspapers that they hadn't been in before just by sort of sharing advice and tips and that kind of thing and if I if I knew what I know now I would have like you know probably started charging people right from the outset um but by the time I realized that I could probably monetize it 
it was almost too late and people were like, I'm not paying for it. It's been free for years. And so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but it was really beneficial to me. You know, I got loads of, you know, big copywriting contracts and opportunities out of it. And some of the people that I'm in contact with today, you know, really good friends of mine today are from that forum that I started back, back then. So, you know, it, it worked. Yeah. That's so cool. Especially because if anything, it's probably got easier to start that kind of thing nowadays. The fact that you, you, you got out there and did it in order to uh, to make those connections is amazing. And I love that that whole thing, which I, I'm kind of starting to pick up on again and again, is like that your competition aren't necessarily your competition. It's more like a community. Yeah, I mean, it used to be interesting because every so often I'd moot the idea of, of, you know, could you make a voluntary contribution or something like that? Or could we introduce a fee? And so some people go, yeah, brilliant. I've had thousands of pounds worth of work from being part of this forum. And they would like list all the bits of work that they've got. But you'd always get those people who came along and said, well, I've got nothing from being in this forum. And they were exactly the people who weren't willing to share their contacts. They weren't willing to share little bits of insider info about the, the publications that they wrote for. And the people who were willing to be generous and the people who are willing to share what they knew, they just consistently got opportunities. It was like, you know, karma thing, like the more generous you are with other people, the more you share, then the more it comes back to you. And that's certainly something that, that I have always found, that the more I help other people out, the more, and I still do it now, you know. And yeah, it, it's just exactly as you said, there's always enough work to go around. I think the more generous you are with people and the more willing you are to share, it just comes back to you tenfold. Yeah. So from that point then in your career, where, where does it go next? So you're currently in your story, like sending out pitches all the time, working for various different publications. Thankfully, I got better at what I was doing and I got, you know, to be a real specialist in the education sector. And I, I, I got some really great uh, contacts and connections and I started writing a lot for The Guardian and I started writing lots of education pieces for them. I built up a really good relationship with the editor and I was also writing for things like the Times Education Supplement and other people but it sort of became apparent to me that actually not only specialising it's not like I, I know you have to be careful when you're freelance not to put all your eggs in one basket but I think if you've got one client that you get along really well with and and they like you and you like them then it can work really well so I just started doing more and more stuff for The Guardian which is obviously more prestigious and that led to more copywriting gigs and you know training gigs and things like that people would ask me to come and help with stuff and then the editor there's other few few other bits in between but then the editor sort of said to me actually you're you're really quite good at this would you like to come and cover for me when I'm on holiday and that was a little bit scary because when somebody says to you would you like to come and cover and look after a section of a national newspaper when you've actually <laughs> never worked on a newspaper or a magazine? I was absolutely terrified and, and just so terrified I was going to mess it up. But of course, I totally knew my subject. I totally knew what a good story was. I knew how to edit a piece into shape. And, and so that was a bit of a big break for me because her giving me that opportunity and trusting me to do that, then that, that you know, really kind of boosted my credibility. And... I mean, I think I've missed out a bit earlier on, but basically I worked something out really, really early on in my freelancing career. And this is that people were terrible at pitching to journalists. So I was getting sent all these press releases to me and all these pitches and they were just awful. And what would really gall me actually as a, as a freelancer myself and a self-employed person who had my own business, it would gall me that lots of these press releases and pitches were sent by PR companies who were working on behalf of small businesses. And this would like really get on my nerves because I was just like, you know, these people don't realise they, they're handing over their money to these terrible PR companies and they're doing <laughs> sending this stuff out on their behalf. So I, so 
why I realised early on, actually, that that um, if, if these people didn't know how to pitch to the media, and I was really, as a, as a journalist, as a freelance journalist, you're so scrappy and you're so nimble and you're so well-connected that I really did know how to do this. So I linked up with another freelance journalist called Louise Tickle, who's also writes a lot for The Guardian. So she's a real kind of... Real kind of um, Oh, she's a great journalist and and uh, really experienced. And uh, we started running these um, pitching workshops together in London. And we worked with some big brands like John Lewis and some big. Uh, who else did we work? I'm trying to remember um, some of the big banks. I think I remember. I remember having people from Santander and places like that. And they were just kind of hanging off our every word. Like, and we were just teaching them the stuff that we knew as scrappy freelancers. But what we were teaching them was like it was like music to their ears. And so we started doing more of that. And then eventually we started running these big conferences. And we thought, well, if people are really hungry for this kind of thing, we're just a couple of freelancers trying to teach what we know. Why don't we why don't we get the big guns in? So we started because Louise specialised in education as well. So we started running these big conferences called, called What Journalists Want. And we would basically get all the key, you know, the big players from The Guardian, The Telegraph, The Times, get all the big hitters in. And then we charge people money PR people generally to come and hear them speak for the day and um and and then that you know we we started to get offered more training work and then universities and colleges and places like that would invite us to go in and train their teams and we did look at we started a sort of training business together we set up a company but we we got divorced quite early on it didn't really work out (laughs) and and, uh, we uh we we parted as friends but we I think we realized quite early on that we had kind of different different uh ideas about where we wanted to take it but basically, that was all going on along the side. So while I was sort of writing these really in-depth features for the journal for for the Guardian, you know, big sort of quite often big investigative journalism pieces that took weeks or months, and freedom of information requests, and you know, quite quite detailed stuff, I also had this much bigger, more well-paid stuff going on in the background, the consultancy and the training. And whereas Louise is my who I was partnering with at the start, you know, she she was really interested in her journalism and I started to I started to feel a bit bored with what I was doing. And I thought, oh, I've been doing this for a long time and and I, I just think I got to the point having dreamt of writing for The Guardian, writing features for The Guardian like every week and editing the section. I kind of thought if I have to write one more article on some aspect of education policy, I think I might die. I just got to that kind of point where I was just I was just a bit burnt out. So a few years ago, I started to really develop the training side of things. And that's kind of bringing me closer to where we are today. But I don't know if I've missed any bits out that you <laughs> that you want to ask me about. Wow. Um, well, no, because well, th- so there's a the thing. So you're you niche down into education you've built up a relationship with the guardian so you're doing more and more with them then you have a go at editing with them but the ho- but for a large chunk of that you're also doing the training on the side yeah yeah, yeah. so oh i think it was about a year ago actually i think i'd reached a bit of a a pinnacle and I kind of felt like I needed to, to change direction and actually I have missed something out here so I'd started uh, about three or four years ago in order to get more of these like nice juicy training gigs and speaking gigs I'd I'd started a blog which was all about teaching people how to get press coverage and it started really where I was I, I used to do a lot of stuff that was aimed at education and not-for-profit companies because they were the kind of people that I tended to work with so schools colleges universities not-for-profits and um so I started this blog where I was you know seven mistakes you're making in your press releases and and um you know this is how to pitch to a journalist and basically I started creating all this useful I basically started doing content marketing and I didn't Mm. probably didn't even realize I was doing it I just started this blog and and uh, that was helping me to get leads for this this nice nice work and that was quite popular this blog that I was doing and I just kind of thought I really want 
want to start working with different people because the thing is like when you're working with when I was putting on these big conference events for people who worked in education and charities it was all very well but it always felt that there was almost something missing in the room because for most of the people that were there this was just a job for them and some of them were really passionate about their jobs but others of them were a bit like hey I'm on a training course yeah this is good this is going to help me get my boss off my back but they didn't have that passion that maybe I had for my work and my colleagues had for their work because it wasn't their thing it wasn't their business and I, I can remember just thinking oh you know if I could just run an event like this for small business owners for people who want to get their stories in the media like people who really really care because it's their business on the line how different would it be to to do that so I, I realized I wanted to pivot but I wasn't quite sure what to do because I mean I've got an email list of like thousands of education contacts who've bought training from me over the years and been to these events and you don't really want to throw something like that away <laughs> so I, I kind of set about almost pivoting and started to build up my small business contacts but I didn't really know where I was going with it and it was one of those things where I knew what my destination was I knew I wanted to start to work more with small business owners and to help them to basically get PR for their businesses but I, I couldn't quite see what the route was so I just felt my way around so I started um, a podcast last year so that was back in November and I just started basically interviewing people about the things that I was interested in which was into you know in terms of promoting your business it wasn't just press but also uh, social media and content marketing and that kind of thing and I just gradually I, I don't know even quite know how I've done it but I gradually sort of pivoted my my business so now a year on I'm pretty much working primarily with small business owners and entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and teaching them how to get in the press. And I've gradually dropped off. I haven't, I have written stuff for the papers, but I've stopped writing the big policy pieces for The Guardian. I've gradually sort of dropped all of that. Um, and so now where we are, I've got, I've now got a coaching program where I teach, I take a group of 10, 12 small business owners at a time and teach them how to get in the press we do it do it over 12 weeks we mainly do it online then I've got um, a membership program so I've got people who are kind of members they're members of my club it's almost like the the, the, the thing I should have done with my forum back in <laughs> 2000 so I've got a membership community of people who pay a small monthly fee to be part of my community and they get a weekly office hour with me and classes and so that's for people who maybe haven't got the budget to hire a PR firm but they just want a bit of ongoing help I also do consult you know consultancy um I've just obviously published a book and um so now I've managed to kind of almost in the space of a year kind of almost like pivot completely and change change the not what I do but almost the the kind of people that I work with does that kind of make sense yeah there's a real thing there isn't it going from being a freelancer doing a job for other people to running I mean it is different it's you're you're still self-employed but it, you are running a business in a different way you know it's mm. not just selling oh, especially it's selling your skill it's selling your knowledge that you've built up isn't it yeah and I think there's a sense that I'm still trading time for money in some ways I'm still mm. doing some things where where basically people pay me for my time for consultancy or training yeah. or whatever but I'm starting to build up these income streams like the membership community which is a form of it's not passive income because I work really hard for it but but it's a form of regular income that's coming in every month and it doesn't necessarily involve me being in a particular place at a particular time with people but I'm still obviously able to to help them a lot yeah and it is, it's, it's quite a different kind of mentality I mean I've still got some stuff you know I've still got some income that I do which is freelance but I am more you know, like a business owner juggling all these different streams of income now. 
Yeah, man. Okay, I'll tell you what, it's a good place to stop, I think. And let me remind you that this episode is supported by the podcast host. So maybe like Janet, you're thinking of starting your own podcast. If you do, uh, talk to Colin and his team. They have loads of courses, but also technical support. So they can do things like design your artwork or tell you how to publish it or even edit it and publish it for you. As well as courses, they have mentorship groups and one-on-one sessions. It's, um, yeah, it's they have a podcast as well well which is also you know full of free advice and resources it's well worth checking out the details are at beingfreelance.com there's a link you can follow through to their site and if you use the promo code freelance you also get i think it's 10 percent off so yeah if you're thinking about doing it for your business like janet has or um you know maybe for a hobby or whatever then do check them out and thanks to them as ever for supporting this episode um back to you though janet and Going back to when you first started putting on those events, I'm just thinking that's it's quite a thing to do. You know, it's it's quite a financial risk, quite a scary thing to jump into. Yeah, and it's still scary now. I ran an event like that for small business owners last week and you get that inevitable thing where people are emailing you saying, oh, can I have a discount? You know, my dog's just died or whatever. And, and I'm trying to say <laughs> to people, you know, I'm trying to be fair and consistent. And even now, you know, it's still, I sort of emailed one lady back in particular and said, look, you know, this is a big risk for me. I have to hire a venue. I have to cover all the costs, you know, before anybody's even bought a single ticket, I have to commit myself to this. I also pay all my speakers as well. So I have a huge speaker bill and that's because they're journalists and like they probably wouldn't turn up if I didn't pay them lots of money. But but also I think it's important to pay them. And yeah, it still feels like a huge risk now when you're you're having to put a deposit down on on a venue. And I'm sure you know that, you know, we're talking thousands to hire a a venue that's going to take 80, 100 people you know you're selling tickets to to people you know when I first started doing I literally used to do we used to use gmail and we used to just like email people from a gmail address and uh, now I've I've got more sophisticated and I use uh, Infusionsoft email marketing software but it was huge scary step and and I think you have to be a a risk taker I think naturally I think if you're freelance you probably are a bit of a risk taker because I've been doing it for 15 years and and sometimes people say to me how do you cope with the fact that you just never know what's around the corner I'm like I don't know but somehow it's just always worked out and um, and somehow things have just always fallen into place and I think the longer you do it I think probably the more confident you get about the fact that okay this might be a bit of a tricky month but it'll all come right in the end. So have you hired other people to, uh, and I don't mean the speakers, but hired help along the way, be it um, with your web or with your email, uh, stuff that you just mentioned, stuff like, have you done all of this yourself or have you uh, bought in? Yeah, so I've had to to get people to help. I made a little bit of a mistake, I think, a few years ago, and I actually hired somebody to work as an employee to work with me initially just part-time and then gradually she started doing more hours and I went to an office and started to get a few more people to work for me but I just really really hated it because like when you're freelance you spend a lot of time working on your own don't you and uh, you don't have to talk to anybody and I kind of (laughs) like it that way like I'm really sociable and I love talking to people but actually when it comes to work I'm very very solitary and I like just being able to get on and I had a team of people at one point and I was ending up I was paying to rent an office space and I was ending up working at my kitchen table at home because I just couldn't stand like people talking to me all day and because people would be stopping me and saying, 
oh, uh, should we have tuna sandwiches for that event or should we have like salmon sandwiches? And I'd be like, oh, do you know what? I'm just not that interested. And <laughs> you just you just choose whatever you think is best because I trust you and I know. But obviously for, for somebody, you know, I'm not a very good boss, I don't think. Um, but, but I am good at working with contractors. <laughs> so I decided that, that I would, a few years ago, I decided that was a bit of a mistake. So I st- I've now gone back to a model where I just use contractors who, because they're freelance like me, they, it sounds really awful, doesn't it? But they don't need that sort of TLC that an employee needs. They they just you know like you as long as you you pay them and you thank them and you you know you you value them, then um, they'll do a great job for you. And I often find as well that freelancers will do a better job for you because it's their livelihood and you know they have to. So so I've now got a small team. So I've got a lady who looks after my events, and they're all kind of they're all self-employed. So they work as many hours as I need them to work. I've got a designer who I work with a lot because I do lots of events now and and I'm always looking for help with design. I've got, I use Infusionsoft marketing software, so I've got a lady that I paid to do that for me and she also just generally helps me with my marketing and helps me uh, almost like a kind of PR, a PA role, sorry, and I've got a video person that I use and so I've got a, a team of probably about six or seven people that I work with really regularly and two of them probably work like 15 20 hours a week uh with me depending on what we're, we're up to uh but that's as a freelancer I, I don't know if people will be able to identify with this but I just think that just works so much better for me it's it's just just how I like to work yeah and how do you find it sort, sort of like managing them then if you weren't a, a good boss <laughs> I think that's awful. Like I, I think I, I'm, a, I'm a nice, you know, a nice person. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I did say I was a terrible boss, didn't I? But I think I'm, I'm, I like to do everything very quickly. And if I get an idea, I just kind of want to execute it straight away, which is mostly good. Sometimes I could do with people slowing me down. But um, and and I sort of, I, I, I'm, I pick things up quite quickly. So if there's something I, you know, if I want. I'm using a new piece of software, whatever. I genuinely would just like work out how to use it. And so I tend to pick people who are kind of similar to me um, because I think it's quite difficult to manage people who who need a lot of hand-holding. So I generally try and find contractors who are quite similar to me and quite independent and and are willing to kind of take decisions themselves and, and don't need you sort of constantly reassuring or hand-holding them, which is terrible. But I used to find, you know, obviously when you're a boss, you have to kind of, you know, people come in and say, oh, my kids are sick and, and uh, or, you know, I've got, I've got a daughter myself, you know, so I'm sympathetic, but the same, you know, or... I, I do have situations where I'd have people, they'd come back from a holiday and the first question they'd say is, when can I book in my next holiday? And that would kind of like make my heart sink a little bit. And um, so so I think I just, um, I, t- I try to pick people who can kind of move at my <laughs> pace, which sounds awful, doesn't it? No one will ever want to work with me ever again. Um, but and people who are happy to be managed remotely as well. So I meet up with my team, like maybe like one lady I meet meet up with maybe once a week over a coffee and we have a bit of a chat um another one might be every five or six weeks that I see her and I think people who can cope with working independently and other people who like working on their own as well I think that that works really really well and we you know we chat to each other online all day and we're on Facebook messenger or whatever but I think it is about finding people who like to work in a a similar way so it, it kind of kind of works I think. And when it comes to your uh, content marketing, you've, you're clearly creating a lot. How have you found all the different varieties? Like, you know, is there something that's really worked for you or is it uh, just being able to throw everything at it? I don't know. 
I think I've learned that you, you can't do everything, so you have to kind of prioritise. So I, until last November, I'd, I had a, a blog and I used to just do written content, but I'd always like listen to podcasts and we thought oh, I'd like to do one of those as well. And the podcast has brought in a new audience. It's it's brought in people who, you know, the same types of people, but but they like to listen rather than read. And so they, they bring something completely new with them. And um, I'm not a particularly... Um, I'm not one of these people who has like massive content schedules like months ahead or whatever. What works for me is just saying, I know I publish a podcast episode on a Friday, uh, an interview, a shorter one on a Tuesday. And until recently, I was also publishing a blog post on a Monday, but I was finding it was just getting so, the content I was putting out was getting so much because I also, people who are on my email list, I also send them an email on a Sunday evening, which is essentially like a blog post just for them, which is like, you know, useful content. And the thing that's worked for me is obviously is just creating content that people find useful. And it's interesting, when I first started out with my blog, people were saying all the time, well, you're giving away all your best tips. You know, if, if anyone wants to get in the media, they could go on my blog, listen to my podcast, and they could learn everything they need to know. There's, there's nothing that I hide. You know, there's nothing that you'll get if you're in my email list or in my Facebook group that, that isn't already out there, to be honest. But obviously what people pay for is the convenience of having it all in one place, which is why I've just published a book. But also, I think, um, it's actually worked the opposite way. So the more content you put out there, the more people seem to trust you and like what you're saying, the more they want to work with you one-to-one or in a small group. So you sort of imagine that putting all this content out there might kill your business. But in fact, the more you do, the more people, they, 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 want, they want it one-to-one and they want it tailored to them. So I found it's been brilliant for business, to be honest. And how would you say you've grown that audience I think through building relationships, it's really interesting because I've now got this Facebook group which has gone mad in the last few months. And from having this forum, obviously, back in in uh, 2002 or three, I think it was. And it's interesting that the thing that's working best for me in my business at the moment in terms of bringing me clients and leads is a Facebook community because that's the thing that I've always been good at, I think, is building relationships with people. And I genuinely just love, like, connecting with people online, of course. <laughs> connecting, though, no, I, I love it in person as well. But um, just the way that I went off and I... And I found, I went on that journalist.co.uk site and I eked out every possible journalist and emailed them personally. I could... I mean, I don't have time to do that now, but I've been using Facebook advertising recently where it's very targeted and I've been attracting the same types of people into my Facebook group. And when they arrive, it's just like, you know, I can help them. I can share useful content with them. I can give them some quick tips in a Facebook group or whatever. So I think for me, it's all been about building relationships and building community. And I did an interview actually in my podcast with this guy called Lou Mongello, who's built a whole career out of talking about Disney, which is just like fascinating. Um, And he was saying, you know, instead of talking about your community I've got quite a big email list and I've got I think 1500 people in my Facebook group now and and he was saying on that something I subscribe to which is about treating people as friends not fans so it really is genuinely trying to to get to know people personally so when people come into my Facebook group I will welcome everybody personally and I will if I've got time just try and go and have a look quick quick look at see who they are and I might try and connect them with people in a similar industry or just say oh you might want to talk to this person it's getting harder actually as the group's getting bigger but I think it is all about relationships and building community and that's just seems to play to my natural strengths I'm not saying that would work for everybody but that seems to work with my personality I think. Can you remember a point where 
I get well. I guess you had zero people in that group. Did it gradually build momentum or whatever? It's, it can feel a bit disheartening if you're trying to build an email list or whatever when maybe you're creating an email and only two people are going to be reading it. Or, you know? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, think you have to be the leader. I was saying this to somebody the other day. Who was asking me about it. And you have to be prepared to be the leader. I think you have to be like that person in a room that goes up and starts a conversation. You know, you have to break the silence, and you have to be willing to work so hard. I think in a community like that to start with, just to really keep the, the conversation going, to reply to everybody, to spend time giving people tips, and then it's like my forum from two thousand and three. It's like then you can step back and almost let it kind of look after itself. Like I say, being freelance dot com, there'll be loads of links to, uh, to what Janet's up to and because I think as well if if you're thinking as a freelancer how can I maybe get myself some press coverage and by press I mean online things as well um, you know like how can I get myself some attention so that that kind of feeds back to me uh, then there's so much on there that, that you can learn from um, I always do this thing though where I ask for three facts about yourself make okay. two true one a lie and let me figure out the lie what have you got for me okay so number one um, a minister shook his fist at me in Parliament. <laughs> Number two, my mum screamed down the phone at Lulu. <laughs> and number three, I sat on Gary from Take That Knee during an interview. Oh, my goodness. Um, so if an MP shook his fist at you. Were you sitting in the gallery looking at him or something? No, so I'd written a story for The Guardian about was the business minister and I'd written a story for The Guardian about apprenticeships and he didn't like what I'd written and it just so happened I was going to Parliament for some event that day and when I walked in the room, I didn't even realise he knew who I was, but he... Um, he shook his fist at me and said, I'll deal with you later. <laughs> uh, and your mum screamed at Lulu? Yeah, so I was interviewing the singer Lulu... Uh, and at home and and so my mum had come round like to help me out because I was really busy so she said I'll come round and do the hoovering so my mum was <laughs> hoovering and um and she just turned the hoover on just as Lulu phoned like Lulu's press person said oh you know you can go through to her now and my mum just I was trying to gesture at her to, to stop hoovering and she just you know didn't take any notice of me so I smacked her bum um and to, to, to get her attention and then she just ended up screaming down the phone at Lulu and in a kind of like comical <laughs> shout kind of styling and I, I don't know what else so I had to get on the phone to Lulu and say oh god I'm sorry that was my mum screaming down the phone at you <laughs> and you sat on Gary's knee would the rest have take that there yeah, so I was quite excited because I got to interview Take That at a gig and um and it's a friend of mine, really. She she just kind of dared me to ask Gary if I could sit on his knee during the interview. And and so she said, like, wait till right at the end of the interview, ask everything you've got to ask. And then just, just when you get to the end, just say, look, Gary, I know this sounds really weird, but can I sit on your knee? And he agreed. <laughs> He'd probably be grateful for the attention. The attention <laughs> always seemed to go to the others. Um, I know, yeah, yeah, but he, but he was a latecomer, wasn't he? He, he ended up being the best looking. That's true. He did blossom. Uh, yeah. Okay, what should we say? Uh, these all sound very true, but I would expect no less from somebody who writes and comes up with stories and things. So I don't know. I don't think your mum screamed at Lulu down the phone. <laughs> she did. Oh man, she did. I don't know. In that case, Gary, Gary's the lie. Gary's the lie. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> 
Oh, well, I love the fact that Lulu is true as well. <laughs> um, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would it be? I've been thinking about this. And I think to enjoy it more, I think sometimes you can get so busy as a freelancer, can't you? And you're so, you know, you take everything that comes your way and just to stop sometimes, just remember how brilliant your life is and how brilliant it is that you don't have to get up and go anywhere and uh, be in an office or work with people or, you know, smell their horrible egg sandwiches or curries from the <laughs> night before and, and just appreciate it because it really is a great lifestyle and I wouldn't want it any other way. Nice. I'm just intrigued. Well, one, one quick uh, other thing is that like if people look at everything that you do it might seem quite overwhelming it's like man you seem to be doing a lot like how how do you manage your time or is it all an illusion I get up very early and do you? Um, yeah so I get up at five most days um and I just really love it so I actually have to tear myself away like I have to actually make a concerted effort not to work because given the opportunity, it never feels like a hardship. So I've always got work on my mind. I've always got some project that I'm doing that I'm excited about. And I actually physically have to sometimes say to myself, you've just got to stop and, and uh, you know, do something else. But yeah, I think it's just because I just love it so much, to be honest. But yeah, I do get up early. I find that I can get a lot done between the hours of five and seven. <laughs> and um, that's when I, because I write a lot. I mean, I write every day. If I'm not writing for my own blog, I'm writing guest posts for, you know, the likes of Entrepreneur or Huffington Post or The Guardian or whatever it might be. Um, I'm writing email marketing copy. And I find that those couple of hours in the morning, I can get like, really really good writing done and I often write much more quickly and much better so so yeah I think it's those extra couple of hours probably in the morning Mm. I would love to use those couple of hours but our son always gets up at six and then I just he's just an early riser and I almost feel like I wish I could palm some of my work off onto him because you're up you're doing nothing school doesn't start for hours make use of him I get I get quite irritated actually because the rest of my house they're not early risers and I kind of understand the weekends I'm still up at five six o'clock on the weekends I'm like what's wrong with you you're all lying in bed get up <laughs> and also exercise actually I mean I, I make sure I exercise regularly and that helps a lot because my output is quite high so I try and go in the evening about five or six o'clock I go off to the gym for an hour most days or I go for a run or something and that stops me from going mad I think yeah what and then gives you extra energy to keep working in the yeah evening. exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah resets it all yeah. um janet thank you so much check out beingfreelance.com obviously listen to other guests as well but uh, i really do recommend checking out as you're obviously into podcasts checking out uh, janet's um as well so links at beingfreelance.com but janet thank you so much and all the best being freelance yeah thank you for having me 